Hey everyone, before we open today's file, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at d.s.radio where you can find all the images that go along with today's case. You can drop us an email at contact.dsradio at gmail.com. You can find all of our socials in the Linktree bio on our Instagram profile, including links to merch. If you're feeling especially generous, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash dystopian simulation radio, where you can get access to our exclusive Instagram page and make suggestions for upcoming episode topics that you would like us to cover. Speaking of Patreon, thanks to our Patreons, Riff Cult, Cropley Crab, Cash Broadus, Raspberry Jr., Jason R. Nelson, Creepy Paper, Jamie Suit, Michael Laughlin, Lindsay Keller, Mike Wright, Gria Weaver, Kelsey Carithers, Linz Gibbon, Drake Holvig, Only Child, Michael M, Wesley Akers, Riaz K, Emily Medeiros, Pip, Heather Wynn, Graves, Devin Sweatshirt, The Ordained Sinister Minister, and Philip Hoffman. Hi everyone and welcome to Dystopian Simulation Radio. I'm your host, Linz. And I'm your other host, Chris. How's it going, Chris? It's going pretty good today down here in our uh, our little creepy little office where we talk about things like cryptids and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, our damp basement that we've boarded up to keep the zombies out since we are in the dystopian simulation apocalypse. Don't know if we ever talk about that much. How that we're just in a basement somewhere hiding from the outside world, which has become a bit of a nuclear wasteland. <laughs> but that is that is what is happening. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I said, how are you? And then that went really off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, the traditional response. Sorry. How are you? Good. Had a birthday. Had an afternoon Ooh. tea. Very British. Um, and I also... <laughs> this is not birthday related, but I've got like a mini story, which is kind of embarrassing. Last weekend, I was getting my steps in, okay? I was like on a walk, coming back home. And I was listening to a podcast and I was getting really sweaty and irritated. And I was like, I don't like this. I want to skip it. And then my phone made this like really bizarre noise that I've never heard before. And it was like an alarm. What the hell was that? And then I was, I took my headphones out. I looked around. I was like, is it a car or something? No clue. I skipped back on this podcast I was listening to. Maybe they left in a rogue sound effect that they didn't notice. No. And I was like, how, how strange. So I got home, opened the door. I start talking to my cat. I'm like, hello, you big hairy man. Then I hear a weird noise through my headphones, which, you know, connects to calls and stuff. And I look at it and I had called the emergency SOS thing. <laughs> oh, shit. No, but... <laughs> I love you, you hairy man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh. (laughs) So embarrassing. I I don't know how you do it on your phone, but I know on my phone, if you you click in the the power button a certain number of times, it'll call the emergency services. Yeah, I'm not sure how it works on my phone. I've never seen it. I've never accidentally done it. I've never heard that noise. But I was, like, really sweaty and I was clambering the phone like going rewind pause switch click 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 some kind of cheat code i called oh god it's so embarrassing (laughs) you know this is going to be one of those calls that they release as like 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like collateral. Like, do not waste the emergency services time. <laughs> it's just somebody, some girl panting yeah. and going, fuck six. And then you hear a doe and, I love you, my big hairy man. It's like, what the fuck is <laughs> Oh, dear. So, yeah. It's the kind of week I've been having, Chris. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> for that laugh straight off the bat. Um, we should probably let everybody know that if they want to see the visuals that go along with this episode, they can check out our Instagram. Which is at d.s.radio. If you're feeling especially generous, you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash dystopian simulation radio and here's the final boss lens see the ultimate <sighs> test <laughs> if you want to buy a t-shirt or a mug with our name on it you can go to tpublic.com forward slash stores forward slash ds radio there you go got it in one lens hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> chris yes you've heard of the bermuda triangle yes but have you heard of the Wales Triangle? Um, I've been to Cardiff and they've got a pink triangle. I don't want to know what you do on your weekends, Chris. <laughs> but have you heard of the Wales Triangle? No, I haven't. Uh, but I'm already living in fear of, th- of place names that you might ask me to read out in this episode. <laughs> don't worry. I have, for my sake and yours, tried to evade... Any names that we definitely cannot pronounce <laughs> and luckily got through unscathed. Mm. So before we go forward, Chris, and investigate, would you like to take a stab in the dark at what the Wales Triangle could possibly pertain to? Um, I mean, I'm going to guess it's an area in the sea off Wales in between Ireland-ish, maybe? And the the, the the a triangle where no boat nor airplane dare go into. Well, you're wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, is it? Is, is it um the Wales Triangle? Uh, is it Swansea's top-rated restaurant? <laughs> no, maybe, but probably not. The Wales Triangle, Chris is the name coined for an increase in UFO sightings in Wales in the 70s. And the sighting we're going to hone in on today is the Broadhaven Primary School incident. Oh, lay it on me. (laughs) The Welsh Triangle encompasses St. Bride's Bay, including Broadhaven to Milford Haven and Haverford West. So Chris, I'm going to give you a little visual where I've marked out the triangle for you so you can have a gander. Okay. Okay, so what we have is a, uh, a rather crude triangle that has been drawn How dare on, you? on a map of Wales. <laughs> um, it, uh, it, it encapsulates St. Bride's at uh, one point, uh, Milford Haven at uh, the other point, and at Far Point, the Ocean Cafe Bar and Restaurant. <laughs> Be afraid, Chris. <laughs> Be very afraid. <laughs> So Broadhaven is a small village in Pembrokeshire, South Wales. It's on the coast and is a small seaside resort with a population at the time of just over 600 residents. The history of Broadhaven is largely unknown, but it's been a seaside resort since Queen Victoria was on the throne. And other than having some restaurants, as you saw, a church and a school, that's about all we know. That is until the late 70s when Broadhaven was put on the map by a chain of alleged UFO sightings that began with the Broadhaven Primary School incident. Do you know anything about this case, Chris? I have never heard of this case, Leonard, which is just how I like it, so surprise me. On the 4th of February, 1977, the students of Broadhaven Primary School were outside during break or recess when they sighted what they believed to be a cigar-shaped UFO landed in the field next to the playground from around 400 metres away. Between the kids' playground and field in which they could see the craft was a large fence as well as a small stream, and beyond the field was the local sewage works. A total of 15 children claimed to see the craft, 
which was approximately 45 feet in length and 15 to 20 feet high. The ship had an extraterrestrial occupant, whom they described as being silver in colour and standing at around seven feet tall. Oh, okay. So a bit, a bit to unpack there. Firstly and foremost, I, I did think you're about to say an extraterrestrial octopus. <laughs> so now I'm slightly disappointed. But the, when it comes to the, the main thing that it, I seem to be thinking about there is this is, it's a primary school. There's 15 witnesses, which even though they're children, you know, 15 witnesses is still 15 witnesses to something. That's more than most. Yeah. And this is presumably happening during the daytime, unless this was a night school for some reason. <laughs> no, it was the daytime and the kids were around nine to 10 years old. So not really young kids. No, kind of on the on the verge of becoming teenagers. So the kids were excited and they told their teachers and parents and essentially anyone they came into contact with that day and night, but none of the adults believed them. Frustrated that their collective experience wasn't being taken seriously, they eventually took matters into their own hands and handed a petition in to the local police demanding the incident be investigated. Yeah, fucking go, kids. <laughs> Intrigued by the kids' relentless pursuit for answers about what they had seen, the headmaster split up the children and requested that they each draw what they had seen from memory, and was reportedly surprised that the children had sketched very similar crafts. The kids described the craft as silvery and cigar-shaped with a dome on top. One of the kids, nine-year-old Jeremy Passmore, gave quite a detailed description of the craft describing it as silvery green and orange with a red light. He said it had a disc on the bottom and a dome on the top with a light on it. He described a man wearing a silvery green suit walking about the craft and said the sighting lasted for around 20 minutes. That's a long recess. Some of the kids said the craft may have been stuck in the bushes and struggling to take off. It then moved behind the bushes, possibly to conceal itself. Now, Chris... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just I love that idea. This is a intergalactic cigar-shaped craft capable of, you know, light speed travel defeated by a bush. <laughs> well, it happened to Atlantis in the last episode. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, true, true. <laughs> we know how good a bush is at hiding. Oh God. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so, Chris, we have a cute little video. Let's chat about it. Sure. I saw the spaceship. I didn't see the man. The spaceship, it looked a cigar shape with a dome on it. It had yellowy orange to red light on the top of it. How clearly did you see it? Well, I, did, I couldn't see its face because it was too far away. Oh, you say you saw a man as well, did you? Yes. And what about him? Well... He was too far away to be seen as well. I was... My friend Philip here was trying to find a way over the stream and I was looking at the bushes up the top of the trees and then uh, suddenly the silver cigar-shaped object seemed to pop up from behind the bushes and uh, trying to take off, then it disappeared again. Are you sure it wasn't perhaps just a helicopter or an aircraft from the airfield near well, here? A helicopter could land there, but it, it's that's private property over there. And if they landed there, they could be prosecuted. And with an aircraft, the only thing they could get in there was a Harrier. Were you frightened at the time? Yes. Why? Well, I thought there would be a whole arm inside there or something. So first, first thing, uh, obviously, that little interview there with three of, uh, of the children who witnessed the flight is that those children do not look 10. <laughs> they're, they're all wearing the traditional 1970s British uniform of a snazzy jumper and they've, they've, <laughs> yeah. especially that second boy looks around 45 so <laughs> <laughs> they're so cute they look like little old men and they speak like kind of like little old men i mean they're, they're older before their years in a, in a good way i mean the way that that last child came out was just like well no because uh you know that's private property over there so you know um it could be prosecuted <laughs> I know, like seriously, how, like were kids smarter back then or just more eloquent or what? Like, I don't get it. They just like, li like honestly, a group of little old men 
We will link this in the Patreon, but once you see them, you'll know what we're talking about. It's really adorable. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's an adorable little clip, but all of these children seem steadfast in it that what they saw was real and it wasn't anybody from the nearby army base, which is, you know, the logical thing that you might attribute this to. Yeah, so would you like to see... A collection of the sketches the kids did, Chris. Oh, yes, please. So if you thought that they didn't look like children in the clip and they looked like little old men, well, the pictures will remind you of how childish they actually are. So if you could describe some of these to the listeners, Chris. Okay. Well, um, these are shit. <laughs> I mean, come on, try harder, kids. Um, <laughs> no, these are... Um, these are actually some some fairly consistent interpretations of um, this craft. It's, although I wouldn't necessarily call it cigar-shaped in any of this. In the second picture that you sent through, you can see it being much more cigar-shaped. But in these, this um, sort of four-piece one that you've sent through, they all look like regular old flying saucers as opposed to cigar-shaped. Yeah. Um, mm. And, I- like, the head teacher said that he was shocked at how similar they were. And it's like... Not to discredit the kids or him in any way, but I mean, my guy, it's a UFO. Like, it's yeah. it's exactly, if someone asked you to draw a UFO, it's exactly what you're thinking of right now. It's what you would draw. Yeah, they, they haven't broken the mould of anything. Disc with a dome. No, the, there is one picture that is by a little kid called, I think he's called David Davies. And he's definitely drawn a cigar-shaped yeah. craft. It's very hot dog-like. But the others... He, he hmm. also, with a name like David Davies, presents an <laughs> antique show midday on BBC Two. <laughs> yeah. And his flares and his snazzy jumper. <laughs> yeah, that is much more of a, um, much more of a cigar-shaped craft. Um, and it does also appear to be stuck in the shrubbery as well. <laughs> yes. I think it's a good depiction of uh, what the kids were talking about, but... You you can see um, some little beings there, Chris. A couple of the kids have drawn little beings. Yeah, there's a little silver boy up in the top right-hand corner <laughs> um, who resembles somewhat a, a Cyberman from Doctor Who. And then <laughs> in the bottom, there's a sort of... Is he, is he against a wall? Is he against a, like, line-up? Like, you know, like the... the... I think it's a line-up thing to show height. Is right. it like a kid's version of that? I think that's what it's supposed to be, which is very cute. Nope. I, th- I feel like I might have just hit on something slightly there, which is mm-hmm. that one up at the top, maybe just because it's grey and it's blocky, but it does resemble a Cyberman. And obviously, this being the early 1970s, Doctor Who had been running since what the, the, the mid to late 60s, so that this would be kind of the most popular thing on television at the time sci-fi-wise. Um, what, what was this 75 did you say Linz? 77 77 um so depending on what month this occurred star wars wasn't even out yet the poor bastards so you know <laughs> they, they just had um they just had uh doctor who to go off really i suppose um so yeah i suppose that could be a potential inspiration when you see these type of things but you know having watched through most of it myself when i was a kid there wasn't many ufos in it there, there was more like spaceships as opposed to discs well nice insight from a man who actually watched the old doctor who i've never seen it uh i'm very sad i know what it is never seen it a bufora coordinator do you remember bufora chris i called them in a previous episode you haven't been been, you know harassing that poor lady again have you (laughs) no i have not this time i um what did she say do your research i did my research So a Bufora coordinator named Randall Jones-Pugh, as well as a reporter for the Western Telegraph, Mr. Hugh Turnbull, was accompanied by one of the witnesses, 10-year-old David Davies, our favourite child of the group, to the location of the sighting. Hmm. They found no imprint on the ground that one would expect to be left behind by a large craft, nor any other evidence, however... It is important to note that the night before, it had rained heavily. So according to Davies, decades later, when he was interviewed as an adult, 
Although there were no tracks to be found, a telephone pole appeared to have been knocked or dislodged and was leaning at a 45 degree angle. So I guess he's trying to say that although there was nothing on the ground, it appears that when this craft took off, it might have knocked one of the telegraph poles. Mm. Decades later, he's still sticking with that story. He would actually go to become like really into UFOs and aliens, unsurprisingly. And not only did he become hyper-focused on UFOs, Mm. but he was also the target of bullying later in school because of it. And he said of his negative experiences, Chris. So many people are ridiculed for saying they've seen a UFO, he said, describing his secondary school life as a misery. I was beaten senseless purely because of what happened to me. It would have been much easier to take back my story. Aww. Poor David Davies. So the school administrator at the time, Liz Philpott, wanted to eliminate the theory that a tanker from the sewage works nearby had driven down to the field. The workers said that it wasn't possible and they hadn't done such a thing that day. The kids wouldn't have mistaken farming equipment for a UFO either, as the majority of them were from farming backgrounds. Mm. This case inevitably blew up, and the kids were contacted for interviews from groups and media outlets around the globe. So, after this media hype, other people in and around the area started to have their own experiences, Chris. Oh, yes, this is a triangle Mm. after all, isn't it? Exactly. Local hotel owner Maureen Dieter began having paranormal experiences of her own, which started after she stepped out one night for some fresh air and looked up to see a cylinder-shaped object with the lights on it speeding through the night sky. The object was hurtling at such a speed, she only saw it for a few seconds before it disappeared. Around a mile south of Broadhaven is a little place called Little Haven, and like a virus, these strange sightings began spreading to the surrounding areas. A woman named Dorothy Kale retold her experience decades later in a documentary, describing how, while driving with a friend, they were forced to break abruptly in the middle of the road to avoid driving into a craft with a lit-up dome that shone so brightly it was almost unbelievable. This encounter was preceded by flashes that, quote, lit up the whole village. The more I searched for UFO sightings in Broadhaven in 1977, the more I found. The list really began to pile up, and I'm not going to rattle off every single sighting, but I will post the before issue detailing the majority of them on the Patreon. Yes, please do. That would be excellent. So there's more and more people becoming involved in this thing. Like you said, it's spreading like a virus. You've got these 15 children you've got the hotel owner you've got people in little haven you've got the couple who are driving on the road i mean one of the one of the things of ufo sightings is that you know a lot of the time there's a single witness or uh, a single sort of family of witnesses if you will but here it's quite a disparate amount of witnesses who are seeing this very similar craft as it's being described seriously it's actually crazy and like In the span of a year, starting with that primary school sighting, there were so many sightings over the the coming, like the months afterwards. For like a year, there were so many sightings. It's insane. So people in Broadhaven and within the Triangle were seeing these unexplainable things in the sky at all times of the day and night over the months from Mrs. Josephine Hewitson, who saw a 35-foot jelly mold-like craft parked in a field across from a garden at 7.50am on a Saturday morning to a group of teenagers out on an evening searching for a UFO encounter of their own, a sphere-like silver craft mimicking their movements. I love all the detail, especially about first one there. You can tell that she was just furious. Like, it's 7.50am, my children are still asleep. And you're going to park your jelly mold shaped craft in that field? 7.50am. Like, do these things not rest? Seriously, it's Saturday. It's like cartoon time. Yeah, come on. (laughs) So people saw silver crafts of all different shapes and sizes. Some 36 feet tall, some 4 feet tall. 
They saw pulsing lights in the skies and even humanoid creatures inside the crafts and sometimes even pottering around outside. Some described these beings as faceless, creepy, some of them as having long arms and being dressed in boiler suits, some were described as three feet tall and others extremely tall and most of them clad in these silvery suits. Now there's this one family called the Coombs family and they had a particularly insane group of encounters involving the local beach and the Ripperston farm area. So Mrs. Coombs' twin daughters saw a figure in a silver suit with a, quote, square face, plodding around and being picked up by an alien craft in a field near the beach. The craft left behind what they described as a red square box that hurdled itself into the sea. The only thing left behind were a set of these big footprints. Several months later, they would see more strange activity on the seashore when they watched a disc-shaped object hurtle through the sky at great speed and enter the cliffs. The closer they got to the rocks to investigate, they witnessed what I can only describe in our own special dialect, Chris, as geetmental Jesus shenanigans. (laughs) Uh, To translate to anybody not from Newcastle, that means uh, absolutely unbelievable (laughs) goings-on. So Mrs. Coombs, watched as a couple of strange-looking fellas with long rectangular heads potted around in front of a magical door and even walked on water, Chris. Okay. What's so magical about this door? Well, when it was opened, all you could see in it was black. It was like a regular door. But when it was open, it was just blackness. And it disappeared. Oh, they just had this on the beach. I think it was like in the rocks. It was like it was there. They were opening it, doing things. And then it was gone. They were all, everything was gone. Oh, of course. Like I have never, in, in, all, in all our time looking at these cases, I have not heard a story like that. What is no. this? What is happening? I mean, there's a Japanese cartoon called Doraemon where he's got a doko demo door, which is, you know, anywhere anytime door you can open it and be anywhere you want which sounds like a wonderful idea to me but i've I've never heard that sort of reported in an alien encounter i love doraemon so much he's an alien too come to think of it uh, alien cat yeah i think they've been watching too they've been consuming too many things like doctor who and doraemon So, Chris, I'm really not exaggerating when I say that. If we tried to cover all of these stories in great detail, we would be here all day long. So we will let the listeners do some further reading on this one with the links that we will definitely provide. So, Chris, there were so many UFO sightings in the Welsh Triangle that holidays to the area were being offered. So let's take a look at this video from the time. best view they got of a UFO. Their guide and commentator, retired vet but active ufologist Randall Pugh, who's researched the 100-plus David sightings. There is no possible way of it being a hoax. The phenomenon exists. The one thing which the sceptic and the cynic cannot be found accountable for is the question of the effects of UFO proximity on animals. A stark naked fear. Well, it had the clear cigar shape with the dome on top of that and a small red light on top of the dome. The scare really started exactly a year ago when Broadhaven schoolchildren saw a spaceship land near their playground. The spotters didn't spot anything as exciting, but they did hear of the strange goings-on at Ripperston Farm, Dale. Golly, your hands are cold, Well, anyway, uh, these people are interested in the um, your experience. Mrs. Coombs has seen things disappear into St. Bride's Bay and watched flying silver and orange balls pass her farm. And then after that, 
came the silver-suited man, which was the most terrifying experience of it all. Where did he appear? In uh, my window. There were those people standing now. <coughs> Excuse me. He was about seven feet tall, and the width of the window, which is three feet wide, and he was there for about two hours. Worldwide, UFOs favour military and industrial complexes, but in the David Triangle, sewage farms are popular too. That's where Mark Marston was chased by a humanoid. This thing got at the hedge and it jumped over, jumped over this gate. And I thought there was something wrong about it. Like, no man could, no man could jump that gate. You know, and then he From Birmingham, Bristol, Taunton and Abertillery, why did they come? The opportunity to meet people who have actually seen uh, UFOs themselves and to talk with them and discuss them. Have you seen, seen a UFO? No, I've uh, never been fortunate enough or unfortunate enough. Would you describe yourself as a believer? Um, well, I'm not a sceptic. Well, this was a chance to be able to come and chat with people that do believe in the same as I do, you know. Have you seen something yourself? Yes, yes. What? Uh, two, um, like, silver balls going zigzagging through the skies. Not you cashing in on a phenomenon? No, not at all. We're just merely offering a, an extra facility to people to be able to come down here and show them round. Gerard, you're from Paris, France, and you've come over taking a job here just to study UFOs. Why was that? Why was that? Mm. I came down here and just trying to know a lot more about it. And do you know a lot more about it now? Not yet, but it will, will come, I'm sure. Uh. Right, so um, firstly, that adorable little French guy at the end who uh, has taken a job in a local pub to find out more about the incident, bless him. Um, and he hasn't found out anything yet. Honestly, that was my favourite part. Uh, I also like the little bit where the uh, young lad was going, look, there's no, no, nobody could jump over this fence. And like... <laughs> no man could jump this gate. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly sure that... Somebody more in shape than I could could jump that gate. I was about to say, I think you could jump that gate. Maybe. <laughs> You've got the height. You could definitely. When he said that, I was like, bless him, that poor child. He, he hasn't seen a Sasquatch before. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It, this is where, you know, we always come to where we essentially, you know, there's, there's a bit of a pattern that emerges amongst these things. And this is where it can fork off one of two ways when it comes to money yeah and either these incidents get monetized or they don't and i think sometimes we've got a tendency to give more credibility to those that are not monetized but in this case it's the local council it's the um the local pubs that are cashing in it's not the children who originally reported it or seemingly any of these people the only person who is involved in any way is that um that ufologist and uh, Mrs. Coombs as well. Uh, maybe she got a couple of quid for, you know, going, oh, yeah, he was at my window for two hours. <laughs> two hours. Couldn't what find were a camera. Doing? That was so interesting, Miss Coombs. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Um, people are starting to visit this part of Wales, which is, you know, not many residents, probably not, not that many tourists, although they do have a hotel and such, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, suddenly they're getting a adorable little Frenchman working in their pubs and all sorts of visitors. And um, later, there would even be a guy who wanted to write a book about it who actually moved into a cottage there. So people are really attracted to this story, even now. Mm. It is important to point out that there are military operations, or there were military operations dotted around the Welsh coast. And the RAF did do tests and trials of their search crafts in air and sea. And some of those test runs did involve helicopters with bright searchlights, flares and other elements that would illuminate the darkness during searches. So if residents had seen anything out of the ordinary in the sky at night, it very well could have been this. Although the residents did say that they were used to seeing these drills and they did know the difference. There does seem to be something to this, however, as the RAF could confirm that they had been running tests on the nights of some of the recorded sightings, but not all, Chris. Mm. There were also clandestine US military bases in the area too, and in 2005, it was revealed that the British military police had actually been secretly investigating 
the surge in UFO sightings in the late 70s, despite the fact that publicly they had brushed off the claims and acted uninterested. Uh, UFOs? Don't be silly. Balderdash. Absolutely balderdash. No, 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 no. Gordon investigate this. No, 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 no. Gerald, bring me my big book of bloody UFOs. Can you imagine their research consisted of like, oh my God, I was going to say a Poundland UFO book. But I was thinking, <laughs> right, the other day, Poundland, right, for for American listeners is what we call the dollar store. Yeah, but it's also tree. like a, a really hilarious name if you're American. Poundland. <laughs> <laughs> going to take you to Poundland. Oh, Taking oh, you all the oh, way down to Pound Town. God, baby. I just needed some basic <laughs> stationery. <laughs> well, yes, we do call it Poundland, so have a laugh at that. But um, yeah, can you imagine their serious investigations is like a Poundland book of UFOs? <laughs> Even worse is Pound Stretcher. What do you think about it? That Pound Stretcher. That doesn't exist anymore, but that also sounds awful. Yeah. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. So, Chris, there were theories that what some people may have seen was a Harrier jump jet, which doesn't need much room to take off, so it can land and take off pretty much anywhere, and it can also hover. So it's kind of like a jet-helicopter hybrid. Yeah. So if you could take a look at this video and just yeah. um, describe to the listeners what it actually moves like. Yeah. Okay, so in, in that little video that I just watched there, essentially, this is the, the Harrier jump jet is not really like any kind of jet that you're thinking of. They don't require a, a, a really long runway to land or take off. They can go vertically up and down. They can hover. Um, they can land much like a helicopter can. So, yeah, I guess this is probably the most likely candidate if, um, you know, you're talking about the fact that they can all of the descriptions do kind of match this if you take this to be cigar shaped if you didn't notice the the wings from a distance yeah um, exactly it does move in an, in an unnatural way or at least an unnatural way compared to a plane that we would have thought of um funnily enough in that very first video they did mention a harrier didn't they somebody asked mm-hmm. if they thought it could have been one and it was poo-pooed because no it was private property <laughs> you can't park that there mate fuck off but this would this would also make sense as to why this was like buzzing a road, if you make if you know what I mean. Yeah. They, were, they were following the road along. They were trying to keep literally under the radar and then take off to a higher altitude later on. But you would have thought that you know somebody would have seen it. But this also has the dome on top. There's probably, although you can't really see anything in this particular footage, it wouldn't be hard to imagine there's a red light somewhere exactly. on the Harrier jet. Uh, that could have illuminated things. So, yeah, this is definitely the most likely candidate next to UFOs. Um, and obviously, the pilots of these craft would wear Top, go- top Gear... Top Gear? No. Top Gun-style um, <laughs> clothing as well. Hopefully, they didn't wear sad 40-plus-year-old men clothes. <laughs> Pointed shoes and a <laughs> button-up shirt. <laughs> and a nice checky button-up shirt that I got from... Tesco. So I think this is a really good candidate for like any UFOs if you live in a place where they have like a Harrier jets around. Yeah. I honestly was really impressed by the hovering of this jet. I bet from further away it looks quite bizarre as well if you're not used to seeing that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. If you're not, yeah. I mean, they said they were, but yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, not only were there military bases present in and around the Welsh Triangle, but something else was also present. Tom Foolery. <gasps> a local businessman, Glenn Edwards, admitted in the mid-90s that in 1977 he attended a fancy dress party as an alien. He said, because there was so much UFO talk in the papers at the time, that it was the first costume that came to mind. So he borrowed a silver protective suit with a small square window for the face from one of the local oil refineries in Milford Haven. These suits would be used in the event of a fire 
and they were silver in colour with a head covering. He thought the suit had an uncanny resemblance to the aliens being described in the papers, so he wore it. After the party, he was about to take off the suit when his friends encouraged him to keep it on so they could have him walk around the village in it for ten minutes to see people's reactions. On the drive back, they passed the local Havenfort Hotel and not wanting to miss an opportunity to inject some excitement into the night for the tourists staying there, Edwards hopped out in his makeshift alien suit while his friends slowly drove behind him in the darkness with their headlights on as he walked up to the driveway of the hotel. They spotted a woman in the window with a gun and Edwards legged it in fear, rolling down a small embankment all the way to the roadside. They then returned to dinner. (laughs) Put the gun down, dear. It's time for the next course. They were like, oh, shit. So, Chris, we got a picture of him. Thank God we have a picture of him here. Oh, yes. Hit me with it. Here he is. Now that looks pretty alien. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you weren't expecting to see this, this would be very alien. I mean, the silver suit is classic sci-fi through and through, but the sort of welder's mask almost i don't know how you describe it it's it's like a a helmet with a television on the front uh i'm assuming this is you know uh protective uh gear from fire yeah fire um yeah fire that'll do it so it's like a stormtrooper welder disco welding stormtrooper yeah it does now other than a cheeky chap in an industrial safety suit I don't have much explanation for the silver alien boys. However, when it comes to lights and shapes in the sky, I did find something of interest just to finish up the episode with. So I found this really interesting and insightful reader correspondence in an issue of North Wales Weekly News, which was published the 10th of February 1977. And I think the reader does a really good job at explaining unidentified aerial phenomena to the layman. Now, as a person who doesn't know shit about what I'm looking at when I cast my eyes towards the night sky and identify everything in two categories, plane or star, I actually found this really interesting. So, slightly long read, but just to close the episode for us, Chris, if you could read this to the listeners. Absolutely not a problem whatsoever. Let's take a look-see. Those UFO reports. Sir! Having lived in Dengawi for some 12 years, I still take an interest in that area and I buy the weekly news. I see in today's issue yet another report of a UFO. I wrote to the weekly news in December explaining that the second sighting was almost certainly the very bright planet Venus and the third UFO was almost certainly the same planet. The man who reported the December object said that when he looked at it through binoculars, it appeared triangular. This was because Venus and Mercury, as well, both exhibit phases like the moon, a phenomenon seen by Galileo in the early 17th century. At this time in question, Venus's phase was like that of the moon. A little after the first quarter, this would produce a particular effect. Bearing in mind the limited magnification of binoculars, the orange and white light seen by Miss Williams is easily explained by watching the rising or setting sun when the atmosphere is a little hazy. The sun appears orange and is red when the sky is a good deal less transparent. The same effect is visible in Venus's case because of the great brilliancy of this planet. Coupled size of the planet compared with the stars is again the result of the planet's brightness. It is due to an optical effect of the eye, which, for example, a lit light bulb seems bigger than the same bulb when unlit. Finally, there is no cause for concern over Mr. Rex Dutter's remark that there will be some very real reason for this regarding the number of UFO reports. These are not the first occasions Venus has been mistaken for something else. It will certainly not be the last. To avoid further confusion, might I point out that Venus will be visible in the western part of the sky each evening until late March, and at the second brightest planet at present, Jupiter will be seen in the south, southwest, and west throughout the next few months. 
there is a golden rule that you should always seek to explain the unexplained by the most likely, meaning first, and I feel Mr. Dutter would be well advised to remember this. R.G. Roberts, 5 Guelphal Park, <laughs> Ooh, Mr. Roberts. It would have been easier if you just wrote, crack a book, you fucking chocolate yeah. <laughs> But honestly, I think this is a really good note to end on with any UFO case, because I think that people want to believe or they just don't really want to know the other explanations sometimes. You know, they're not that invested in it. So everyone's just like UFOs because remember when I was um, I was getting a flight and I took a video of a plane flying to I was sitting on a plane on the runway and there was a plane landing and coming towards us on the runway. So I zoomed in, I magnified it a lot and I pressed record and it looked like the classic UFO because the wings were facing forward and I posted it on my Instagram as a little test to see what people would say. And everyone was so mind-blown by this video. Yeah, it's been... That was just a plane landing in Shipple. I mean, there's obviously a bias, and probably the, the easiest way to think about it for anybody out there is humans have a tendency to see human faces in things where there isn't. We recognize two eyes, mm. a nose, and a mouth. And also, by that same virtue, if you are so minded as to be looking for a UFO, perhaps you've heard reports around the town... And you see a Harrier jump jet being tested that you, you don't officially know about. You might think that it is a UFO. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't know anything about Harrier jets, I'd be really freaked out to see a small jet hovering. I might not identify it as a jet right Especially away. Especially in the late 70s when this wouldn't have been as common to know about these things. Yeah. I think it was probably made in the 60s. That's damn impressive. But, um... Yeah, it is. It's amazing. But let's stop geeking out over jets. And that is the story of the, well, it's part of the story of the Welsh Triangle. And it's many, 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 many UFO reports. Well, thank you very much for sharing it with me. I had bizarrely never heard of this case before. And it seems odd that I hadn't because there's over a hundred sightings taking place within this triangle and that time period. Yeah. So... This is definitely one that's worth further investigation, I think. We'll have to uh, keep an eye out, see if anything else crops up in here. I'm sure David Davis is, uh, David Davies is, uh, between looking for antiques, is also looking for UFOs uh, on this particular topic. (laughs) I'd love to have a chat with him on the podcast, if he's willing. If you're out there, Double D, just let us know. Uh, We will have you on. Don't call him Double Ds. I call him Double D, not Double Ds. Or just one big monoboob. It's even worse. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, maybe we'll get in touch with him. Who knows? You're always welcome on here anytime. Whether you want to be called Double D or not. (laughs) Chris, you've just ruined the interview before it's began. Might might, might relax him, you know? What a Double D. True. True. I mean, you know, some people like the friendly approach. Mr. Davies. Mr. Davies. I think that sounds better. Mm. You could do it in your voice, your newsreading voice. Mr. Davies, you claim that you have seen a UFO when you were a child. But you were a child, (laughs) were you not? (laughs) You appear to be 45 in this video footage of you in primary school. (laughs) Chris, you got me. Oh, well, I, I put me very firmly in the category of I want to believe in this one. I think the fact that the army base is around there, the US were doing stuff as well, these Harrier jump jets, it's too tantalizingly obvious an explanation to discount. But I do want to believe there's something more going on. At the very least, you do have evidence then of a real life, I wouldn't say conspiracy, but secret operations that are going on in Wales, which in itself is kind of interesting. Mm, but, you know, were, were there really sightings or were people just... Was it a hysteria? Was it to bring some attention to the place, you know? With a hundred plus sightings, probably all of the above. I believe the kids saw something. 
I really do. Like whether they yeah. knew what it was or like whether they just like were mistaken, you know, but or not. But I feel like maybe afterwards, I mean, there was a guy walking around in a safety suit <laughs> scaring local business owners. So I think yeah. there was probably a lot of pranksters and then there probably was a lot of things that people saw in the sky and went, the frick is that? And maybe they were looking up more around that time, you know. Maybe normally they weren't, but maybe people were casting their eyes to the skies in 1977 in Wales. We're all looking down at our smartphones now, but yeah, back in the day, I mean, all they had to do was like go, oh, that's a cumulus cloud. (laughs) I think I'm with you, Chris. Um, I'm going to have to try and read as many of these reports as I can. But there's definitely something with the silver boys and the, the silver craft. Who knows? If you know any other cases that have similar descriptions to this, please let us know on Instagram at d.s.radio. We always like to hear from you. Yes, we do. Uh, We always like to hear your feedback. You can comment on our Instagram, our Patreon. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to my story tonight, Chris. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. It... um... It's always good to hear about a case that you've never heard about before. Um, I think the listeners will have enjoyed this one. There's a lot of extra reading, I think, to be done about this. And next time, I'm going to be coming to uh, present a very interesting file, one that I've wanted to present for a while, um, about a certain individual who is immortal. Immortal? Okay. From a certain point of view. Oh, Okay. You had me excited for a minute, but um, I'm still interested. I'm intrigued. All right, cool. Can't wait to see what you come up with, Chris. See what file you're going to dust off in a in a fortnight's time. Well, thank you very much for today's uh, today's case, Linz. And don't forget, everybody, follow us on Instagram at d.s.radio. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.